Yeah, good morning. Um, I think I know probably about half of you guys just looking around, um, just to kind of place myself, I guess, in the, the history of this church family. Uh, I was a student at UT Dallas for four years. My oldest brother, uh, Brandon, is the director of the ministries along with Mandy and uh, was also, as a seventh grader, a part of the initial uh, Northeast Church plant uh, over in Garland, and now work with the church in Wiley, who then planted this church in Denton. So I've kind of gotten to be a part uh, or have a ringside seat to watch God do a lot of things, uh, both in our community churches and uh, on campus. And so after I finished at UT Dallas, I led our ministry over at Collin College, a very trial-by-fire process uh, for five years. And then uh, these days, I'm splitting my time between the church over in Wiley and then working with focus on the administrative side. So that's me and what I'm doing. Um, and apparently, you guys got to hear from my dad and my younger sister last week. I don't know if this is like Worsham family tour in Denton <laughs> or what. Uh, but anyway, I am excited to be here. It's been a long time, too long since I've come and visit you guys. Um, I got to come join you guys a couple times in the other facility, but uh, I was feeling really good about our new building in Wiley until I walked in here. You guys have some, some swanky digs. <clears throat> Let me say a prayer and, and I'll jump into what I'm going to share with you guys this morning. Uh, Lord, thank you that we just get to be together this morning. What a blessing it is to be among family, uh, be in a place where people love us so well. And uh, we know that they learned that from you, and so we give you all the credit for that. Uh, we also recognize just that if you're not in these words, they have no power and they have no meaning. And, uh, if you're not at work in our minds and our hearts, uh, as we listen, that this will ultimately be a big waste of time. So we just invite you into that. We ask, you know, communally and individually, just that you would be moving and at work to, to transform our minds, to reshape our hearts, and to make us more like you. And I pray that in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. So in Wiley, um, all through the spring, we spent time in Deuteronomy. And so that's what I want to share uh, with you this morning is, is some of uh, what we discussed. And I'll try to lay a little bit of backdrop because uh, I think it's important to kind of know the context of what we're reading. And so if you're not familiar with Deuteronomy, I know that even as a pastor, it had been a long time since I had read much of that uh, when we started preaching about this again. So <clears throat> this is kind of the second time uh, the people of Israel have stood on the cusp of entering this land that God promised them, promised to their ancestors long ago, that God rescued these people out of Egypt. He delivered them in quite miraculous form and in the process made it very clear who he was and who held the power. You know, Pharaoh may have asserted himself as deity, as God, as Lord, but it became very, very clear that he didn't hold a candle uh, towards the overwhelming fire that was Yahweh. And so God carried his people out in miraculous fashion and um, 
was leading them by a cloud during the day and fire by night, and, and he was about to make good on his promise to bless them, to give them a land of their own, to make them a people, a people that had been subject to another nation and had no national identity, no real guidance, no real sense of themselves, uh, who they are. And that's a pretty powerful idea we probably don't think of a whole lot. But you think about as Americans, the kind of national pride and identity we have, who we are, what we stand for as a country in the broader global landscape. They had none of that. And God was giving them that. And it was all bound up in who he was and what his purpose was for this world. And so he's brought them this far and they stand at the cusp. And so they send spies into the land to go kind of survey what's going on. And they come back and with the exception of one or two, they're just absolutely trembling in their boots saying, no, 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 we can't do this. There's no way. These people are huge. And so they cowered. They cowered in fear. And... uh, As a result, they missed the chance to be a part of this great movement of the Lord. They they missed the chance to get to see God's promise fulfilled. And so he said essentially, okay, you know, if you're gonna be, if you're going to doubt me and my capabilities, especially after what you've just seen me do, clearly you don't deserve to be a part of this. So I'll wait you out, and your children will get to go in. And that's what we're seeing now is that they, they come to the end of this 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. One generation has died off with the exception of the two guys that uh, had enough faith to go in uh, in the first place. And they're getting ready to enter the land. And so Moses is now quite old. He's certainly frustrated by these people and their continual failure. But he stands there and he speaks to them as a pastor, you know, letting them know what's coming, giving them warnings and encouragements and guidance to how to move forward, how to move forward in faith, in a life that's going to deliver on the kind of abundance of blessing that God was intending to give them all those years ago, how to remain faithful. And so... This morning, I want to read from Deuteronomy 6, um, starting in verse 1. Moses said this. He said, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, And their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. 
These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Let me go back to verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. You know, this is one of those verses I've heard um, every so often throughout my life, and it's one of those that just kind of sticks in my mind. I think, one, because it's, it's beautiful in its simplicity, and it's easy to remember, and it's just one of those kind of standard-setting verses, one of those that uh, is almost overwhelming to think about fulfilling. You know? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow. But seek first his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. What I didn't know about this verse um, is just how central it became to the faith experience of the Jews. They actually found this document in the caves of Qumran, which is where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And this document was from the first century. And on it, they had that little, uh, that one little statement, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. That was in the center and it was surrounded by a rectangle and all these other verses and commandments circled around it. That, that was the centerpiece of their faith and how they thought. And it came to be called the Shema. That was the name it was given, and that really is just the word here. That beginning of the verse, hear, O Israel, Shema. That became its title. And of course, like anything that gets translated into our language, um, it lost some of its meaning, I think, for us. When we just read it and it says, Hear, O Israel, I don't think that carries the full force of what Moses was saying. Moses was saying, Stop and really listen to what I'm saying. Let the weight of these words rest on you. Let them sink in. Let them provide understanding. Let them generate a response. Hear, O Israel. It's kind of like when you're talking to your spouse and she's, you know, telling you deep things about the way her mind is working and the things that she's experiencing. And she's saying, you know, did you hear what I said? And you're saying, yeah, as you type on your phone. And, and she's saying, no, I know you didn't hear what I said because... You couldn't hear what I just said and not have a response. You couldn't hear what I just said. You couldn't have felt the weight of what I just said and continue clicking away with your thumbs. 
I want you to feel the weight of these words. Moses says, brothers and sisters, listen, hear this. And he says, Yahweh our God, Yahweh one. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. That was really important for them to to hear and internalize and understand. A people that are just coming out of a culture where there's a lot of different claims on God's sovereignty. There's lots of other deities being served and they're being sent into a land where there's a whole nother set. There's gonna be all sorts of people saying, oh, you need, to, you need to serve this God and do this and have sex on this altar so that this God will bless your crops and make you guys fertile and give you prosperity. That's what you're being sent into. So what do you need to know? You need to know that the God of Israel is the one God. You need to answer the question in unison by saying, our God is Yahweh and Yahweh alone. It was a statement about uniqueness. It was a statement about exclusivity. It was a statement that no one else, no other being has any rightful claim on the sovereignty of God. And it was a statement about the exclusivity of their covenant, the covenant that God had made with Abraham and that he made again with them. He wasn't naive about what they were being sent into or sent out of. And so this little statement became kind of a pledge of allegiance for them. I don't know if you guys did this, but in my elementary school, we stood up every morning and we looked at the flag, you do the hand over the heart, a pledge of allegiance to the United States of America. I don't remember one republic for which it stands. You know, my, my national identity is strong. I don't even remember. Uh, so as you can see, hopefully for them, uh, this carried a little more force and weight and heartfelt significance for them than it did for me. But it was their way of saying, and they would say it every morning, and they would say it every evening, I pledge my allegiance to Yahweh and Yahweh alone, the God who rescued my people and who rescues me. He is steadfastly loving and faithful, and thus I pledge once more to remain faithful with undivided loyalty and devotion. It was an affirmation of covenant commitment that that defined their community. That uh, it became a kind of a verbal badge of national identity. This is who we are. We are a group of people who love and serve Yahweh with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. And I think it's powerful to dive a little bit deeper into each one of those um, because just like the word here may lose some of the good baggage that it, it carried for them, uh, these words that we translate as uh, heart and soul and strength, they all have their own baggage. They all come with a history. They in the, in the language in which they were first spoken, 
They had their own nuances. They had a variety of usages, just like many of our words. You know, you spend much time with an international student and you're like, it's not wrong, but it's not exactly right what you just said. Um, or sometimes it's just wrong. I spent time with some international students when I was at, at uh, Colin, and I thought of one story of Tong that I'm not going to share because it was very inappropriate. But, um, <laughs> but uh, I remember there's another guy, Chris O, that was, I think, may have come into school the same year you did, right? A uh, Korean guy, and I just, I have so many Chris O stories. One, we were sitting at uh, Poor Richard's in Plano, and he had ordered biscuits and gravy. <laughs> this was for Anna's birthday, I think. And I was sitting next to Chris, and I was not a good American friend, apparently, because they brought his biscuits and gravy, and it was like they brought a bowl of gravy and then a basket of biscuits, you know, and so you can kind of spoon as much as you want on there or whatever. And I, you know, they serve all our food at the same time, so I start eating, and after a minute I look over, and his biscuits are all there, and his gravy bowl's empty. And he had just, like, eaten it like soup. I was like, oh, dear, brother, like, <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't look out for you. you know, but I remember another conversation that he and I had. And, you know, he grew up watching American movies, and that's how he had learned English. But, you know, there's no real, like, context within our culture if all you're seeing is movies. And so he started, like, asking me about, like, certain words. Like, can you say this? And and I was like, oh, no, no, no. You know, he's like, what about this? What about this? And after five or six, I was finally like, anything other than, like, penis or vagina, like, is not a safe zone. Like, those are all words for the same things, but, like, I wouldn't say any of those, you know. Those have a different set of baggage than these other words. You know, but honestly, that's a funny example of like the same truth, you know, that we've chosen kind of a best translation, heart and soul and strength, right? But these guys weren't writing in English. And those words had their own variety of usages and all sorts of little nuances like our words do. And I think really what they point to that maybe gets lost in our translation a little bit is that this was kind of a um, set of concentric circles. If you think of us as people as a, a small circle and then the slightly bigger circle surrounding it and then one more on the outside of it. You know, starting with the, you know, deepest parts of who we are and then extending out from there. This Hebrew word for heart that Moses used uses, I think is more far-reaching than what maybe we would think of. Because when I think of heart, I immediately go to right brain, uh, where my emotions lie, um, where passion lies, where affection lies. Um, but honestly, this word that he uses was used in a lot of different ways and was much more comprehensive than just that. Just as often as it was used to describe what I was just saying, you know, this more right brain side, just as often it was used to describe the mind and the seat of our thoughts. So it's not one or the other. It's meant to encapsulate our entire inner being. And actually, when Mark uh, translates this, when Mark um, quotes Jesus speaking this verse, 
And as Mark wrote his gospel in Greek, he adds another word in there to try to get all of it. So he doesn't say three things, he says four things. Because in Greek, he was trying to encapsulate this whole, this whole thing that, that uh, Moses was saying. The second word that we see translated as soul gets used in a variety of metaphors um, to describe our appetites and our desires. It's used to talk about life. It's used to talk about a living being. It's even used to talk about a corpse, like a body itself. Which I think is a little more helpful to me because when I think of the word soul, that's hard for me to connect with. How do I love God with my soul. It feels like something that is not within my control. It's very much like beyond me and mysterious. But I think this word that he uses actually gets at something I very much seek to control. My body, myself, my person. It's, it's me as a human being with all of my desires and appetites, all that comes with my physical existence. And this last dimension that we translate as strength is actually more literally translated as power, but, but this too, I think, flattens the word. Strength and power, in my mind, have kind of a limited scope as I think about myself and what I, what I have um, I think of physical strength first, for sure, which I have very little of, at least ever since I got married and quit working out. Um, but the, the meaning of this Hebrew word is best captured by the word resources. That physical strength is one of my resources. But I also have some variety of economic strength and social strength, relational strength. And it even extended beyond that to the resources that the Israelites owned, their tools, their livestock, their home, and so on. And I can connect with that. So when you consider the dynamics of each one of those words, I think the progression of what he said becomes clear. The Nivak on Deuteronomy says this. He says, calling all Israelites to love God without reservation or qualification, Moses begins with the inner being, then moves to the whole person and ends with all that one claims as one's own. This is the yoke of the kingdom. Covenant commitment rooted in the heart, but extending to every level of one's being. Starting in verse 6, he says, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The call that Moses gives us here and that certainly we receive later from Jesus is, a, is to an unreserved commitment that permeates all of life. God is unreserved and unswerving in his commitment to us. 
And that's what we see maybe most clearly in the story of Israel, right? Despite all of their failure, all of their rebellion, all of their sin, how easily they forgot, how easily they got distracted, how easily they, they went after and served other, you know, gods that, that made false promises to them. That in the midst of all of that, in spite of all of that, God remained unreserved and unswerving in his commitment to them. And if you have walked with him very long, hopefully you have sensed that in your own life. That is the kind of commitment he has for us, and that's what he invites us to reciprocate. That's a powerful thing. I mean, I think you think about our human relationships, and isn't that everything that we hope they can be? That we can experience love with others that's unreserved and unswerving whether that's in our friendships or with a spouse, that, that we would experience love that, that, that's that free and that consistent, that faithful. That's what we've been invited into with the Most High God. You sit in this room today because of his unreserved and unswerving commitment to you. And like Moses I hope you feel the weight of that. And like Moses, I hope you refuse to forget it. He says these commands, this covenant is to be on your hearts. It must be written in permanent marker on your inner being. Because your faith is not defined by ritual acts, but by deep internal commitment to God. He says this commitment is to be a family matter where we teach our children and talk about our faith in our homes. He says this commitment is to be a public matter. He says tie them on your hands and on your foreheads, write it on your doorposts and on your gates. You know, the Jews would literally carry the scriptures in these little things called phylacteries that they would wear on their heads. And I don't know if that's exactly what Moses was prescribing, but nonetheless, that's how serious they took what he said. He said, write them on your doorposts and gates. And I read something really neat in reference to that. He says, in doing so, the Israelites will remind themselves that their primary allegiance is to Yahweh whenever they leave from or return to their homes. And that love for Yahweh must govern all activities inside and outside the house. Furthermore, it will declare to guests and all who pass by that in this household, Yahweh is not only the unseen guest, but also the supreme head. The inscription on the gates extends, to this, extends this commitment to the entire community reminding citizens and visitors alike of Yahweh's rule over the town and the nation as a whole. And since city gates also functioned as courthouses, these inscriptions will also remind those participating in legal or administrative proceedings that all must be done in honor and on behalf of the divine ruler. Unreserved, unswerving, unrelenting, beginning with our inmost being, extending 
to my physical body with all of its desires and appetites and finishing with all that I call my own, every resource that I have at my disposal. That's how the Lord invites me to love him. That's how the Lord invites you to love him. He, after all, has withheld nothing in his love for me. So may we follow suit in our love for him and our love for the people around us. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. Lord Jesus, may that be true of us. May you expand our capability to love you expand our capability to love the people around us. May you teach us to love you with our inmost being. May you teach us to love you as we seek to control our desires and our appetites, our speech, our behavior. May you teach us to love you with all that we call our own, with every resource at our disposal. May we love you and love others. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at dentonnorthchurch.com.